Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at really some of the major challenges in the future and in the present. And we're talking about climate change, clean energy, the sixth extinction, and several others. My guest today is an expert in this area. Mr. Ruben Nelson is the Executive Director of Foresight Canada. Mr. Nelson is a futurist, a visionary, and a problem solver. Ruben Nelson, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you being with me today. We're going to get into all these easy issues in just a few minutes, and we know they're not easy, but uh, you're, you're the Executive Director of Foresight Canada. What is Foresight Canada? It's a small uh, Canadian not-for-profit. We have a consultancy and a research program. We're one of the few organizations in Canada that focuses entirely on the future. Um, and fundamentally what we do is we help people see better. And by that, we mean we help people see things that their culture has taught them not to see. So you and I are both white males and our cultures taught us not to see our privilege. And yet white male privilege is a source of a lot of trouble today. So we work with people around difficult issues to help them see better because we're convinced that uh, a lot of the unintended consequences we have going on in the world are simply because we didn't see well enough. It's not maliciousness. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just something we grew up with or it's part of our culture or something like that. Something we grew up with, but it means then that we have a different view of, of human beings, that we're not fundamentally malicious. We're just often uh, grew up in a situation that we picked up some bad habits. Mm -hmm. Now, our viewers can go to your website at foresightcanada.com to get more information. And I, I noticed on there, you had a I guess it's a study or a program called Strategic Foresight 2.0. Is that what we're talking about, about helping people to see better? Yes, that this is the next generation of foresight. So it looks, it, it's more integrated. When foresight started out, it did perfectly normal things. Just like our culture, you deal with the things that are most obvious in front of you. Whereas it's not obvious, of the things that are inside us, the th that we participate. And of course, that's what has been uh, giving us social turmoil. Uh, black women are not willing to be unseen or to be misseen. And so uh, the most current version of foresight is a more integrated version than earlier versions. Okay, we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But uh... One of the things on there is you had a term, modern techno-industrial, MTI. Uh, what exactly is that modern techno-industrial 
of civiliz a form of civilization? It's, it's our language. As you know, the language of modernity is usually used. So part of my background is in philosophy and we like to be a little more precise in our terms. And so our language for the kind of culture we live in is simply that it's a modern techno-industrial culture. It's the culture that started in Western Europe almost a thousand years ago and now is spreading uh, around the world. It's what lets us do Zoom. <laughs> we can thank that for Zoom, which Zoom is really Zooming, no doubt about that. Well, some there's a school of thought and there are a lot of articles and studies and what have you on this uh, uh, peak modernity and how these cultures, the advanced cultures, are actually moving into decline. How, how do you view that? I, I, I'm one of those. Um, I got into this field a long time ago. So the thought that modernity won't go on forever, which is uh, a very modern thought. Uh, modernity officially kind of believes that it, there can be prosperity and increasing GDP forever and ever on end. Uh, I got, I'm used to the thought that modernity is like any other form of civilization, that it will have a beginning, middle, and end, and that we're already past peak modernity, in my view. In other words, I, I take this not as an ideological view, but the question is, how do you make most sense of the things that are going on around us? And I think it makes more sense to see the turmoil of our time as turmoil of a culture that is slowly beginning to disintegrate rather than as um, uh, things that can just be fixed and we'll just go on and zoom off into the future. There, there are a lot of articles to support what you're saying that are coming out more and more each day. In fact, uh, some that I've read recently have indicated that with climate change, the way it's raging around the world right now, it's only going to get worse and worse. And that by 2050, even, or maybe sooner, by 2040, that so many societies will be dysfunctional. They will not be able to operate simply because where they're living will be uninhabitable, that the, there will be extreme drought, there will be extreme rain, there'll be some extremity that will be there that will just disrupt their pattern of living and their lifestyle. But it is, it, these are serious situations that are out there and we really need to move forward. But this, this whole debate on climate change ties into the, the sixth extinction. Do you, do you see them going hand in hand? Oh, I do. Uh, I mean, very much. If you, if you think about it, the conversation we're having where there's both you and I have some sense that uh, the future we're actually headed for is not the one that officially uh, we get offered by our politicians and our business leaders. They're still telling us that the future we head for can somehow be better. We've got problems, we'll solve them, and everything will be all right, whether it's through putting up uh, Donald Trump's wall or some other thing. My sense is that it's easier to see that we're uh, headed for serious trouble today than it was 10 years ago. And if 25 years ago, you tried to have this conversation, almost everybody would have thought you're crazy. My fear is that 10 years from now, we'll kind of know that it's true, but we'll also kick ourselves for being unprepared. And that is exactly 
<laughs> what appears to be happening, even though there are some people, I will give them credit. There are, there are politicians who are coming online. There are businesses in particular, a really yeah. large number of them have switched because they realize that the bottom line is going to be affected if you're living in Phoenix, Arizona, and the average temperature is 140 degrees out there during the day, that there are very few businesses that are going to survive. Planes will not get off the runways out there. At, the place will be uninhabitable. So have you done very much with the business community? Uh, yes, I have. And it's true that, that the best of them are beginning to take this seriously. And that's all good. Um, but this is a conversation I've been trying to have with them for 35 years. Uh, let me tell you, 35 years ago, there wasn't much uptake. Even today, there's not much uptake other than in the, 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 the tend to be the largest and uh, people who are sensitive to their reputation. Because we now have some major figures in the world who are talking about the very things you're talking about. That, uh, I mean, for example, today as we talk here, the southern border of the US is in turmoil because young children without their parents are coming across in droves. And Americans quite rightly don't want to either mow them down with machine guns or just send them on home. And so you're trying to cope with them, but this is only 2021. This is not even 10 years from now. And most businesses are saying we'll be carbon neutral by 2050. My sense is 2050 is way too late that the realities are gonna show them that they need to be carbon neutral. It'll be interesting to see which of the major corporations will be the first to say, no, we've changed carbon 2050 to 2040. Mm -hmm. And how many years after that will it be? Well, we've changed 2040 to 2030. <laughs> but some of them will be talking about 2030 still in the 2020s because the pressure in the 2020s will go up so much. Mm -hmm. The ideal situation would have been had we paid attention back when people like Al Gore were ringing, he was ringing the, the warning bells, sounding the alarms. And had we listened in and started movement, we would be in a far better place today than we're going to be by even by 2030. And you're absolutely right. When I hear governments say, well, we'll be, as you said, we'll be fossil free by 2050. You'll be lucky if you still have a society by 2050. And I, I, you know, I'm an I'm an optimist to some degree, but you can you can read the scientific studies. You can see how devastating this climate change has been, and it's certainly going to make uh, it's going to get worse. So, what are a couple of your recommendations if you're doing a foresight study, say for the Canadian government? What would you recommend they do in conjunction with other governments, in conjunction with the United Nations? We can't fight this thing by ourselves. We've got to have partners. We've got to work together on it. But what are a couple of things you would suggest they do, just, say, just on climate change? Well, one of the things that we've suggested is that they learn to treat strategic foresight as a public utility. Right now, the very best strategic foresight is done in the U.S. military and in militaries around the world. But a lot of that they don't share. In other words, you don't have to convince senior officers in the military that we're in trouble because they're the ones who get hauled out onto the streets to, to deal with it, whether the crisis is here or in some country uh, someplace else. 
what we don't have is good information in a consistent way that is available to anybody who might want it, whether it's a family with 12-year-old kids or whether it's a small corporation in uh, Fargo, uh, North Dakota. Uh, so one of the things that's needed is to get way better information, far more publicly available, because right now the best of it is pretty expensive and that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, one, that's one thing. Yes, please continue. <laughs> well, um, another thing is that uh, we have to learn to fund. The, my understanding of social change is that it happens out of personal conversations. It tends to be community-based in some way or other. And one of the things we need to learn to do is have governments fund, be willing to fund uh, as they used to in the 60s. Both the US government and the Canadian government in the 60s funded all kinds of community action. And we need to do that again because those are the places where citizens are gonna talk themselves into understanding how profound this is. But we also need to talk ourselves into it so we don't see them as the cause of it. In other words, we could do this badly enough that we set up a civil war within our society. And so we need citizens to work their way through it in a way to see that they're participants in causing the trouble as well as they're participants in the solution. And that takes time and it takes money and energy. And the best corporations can afford to assign some of their uh, people to it, uh, take them off other jobs. Uh, But small corporations, of course, can't afford that. And and not-for-profits is just beyond them. Well, you're absolutely right. We do need to get more and more people involved and all of everyone has a stake in this. I mean, we, there is no planet B. There's no place to go. If this one goes up, we're all in trouble. We're all into it. It's, I mean, Bill, that's why, in my view, what you're doing with Global Connections Television is so important because the odds are it will be seen by people in small group settings. It's not gonna be on CBS. It's going to be seen in settings where people are intentional, they want to do it, and they want to learn because, I mean, for example, I tell people in Canada, hey, folks, if Americans can't keep people out of Texas and Arizona, if you can't protect your border, spending billions of dollars, what are the chances that we can keep Americans out of Canada? And how long will it be? Okay, so here's a thought that I literally now I'm, I'm spreading in Canada. How long will it be before Americans figure out that if they airlift some of these people who are entering the U.S., including some of the children, and dump them in northern Montana and say, go north, which they will, because all they're after is a better life. All of a sudden, then you've got half as many people to deal with in Texas and Arizona, and we have half as many as you've got, when now we have almost none. So that would totally surprise us. We are sitting on a keg of climate change dynamite with a very short fuse. It's much shorter than we know. That's exactly right. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com 
to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, and you like our program and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a wide range of issues from climate change to clean energy to the sixth extinction. And my guest is an expert on these topics. Mr. Ruben Nelson is the executive director of Foresight Canada. He's also a futurist, visionary, and problem solver. Ruben, we're talking about climate change and how so many of these governments are saying, well, by 2050 or by 2100 or 2200 or whatever it is, forget it. I mean, who knows where we'll be by then if we're any place. But one, one component that goes into this whole discussion is clean energy. Now, Canada is a big energy producer. You have hydroelectric power. We've had the situation with the Keystone XL pipeline with the uh, what they call the peanut butter oil coming from Alberta, whatever. What, what do you recommend in this area of clean energy and how important is it to move quickly into it and get away from fossil fuels as soon as possible? Well, um, I, I want to say yes and. It, it's like that button you learn at a workshop. Learn to say not no, but yes and. Absolutely. Anything... Electricity is going to be used for more and more things. And so we need to generate as much of it as we can in a renewable way. And I'm all in favor of that. So we need major investments in it that's now being understood so that uh, people who are in places like the World Bank and your own federal bank and the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England, major bankers are now on this issue and saying to hedge funds and others, for God's sake, invest in it. And, and that's beginning to happen in a serious way. So we need to encourage that and be open to it. But there's a, there's a dark side to this that we need to understand that clean energy is not a kind of magic solution that solves all our problems. That what we've done in the last 200 years is allow you and I to have Zoom and television and uh, clothes that we could never afford any other, I just mean even ordinary clothes, uh, but compared to our great, 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 great grandparents who were still making their own clothes without sewing machines. Uh, and that there's an energy issue that, that every living being needs energy just to survive. And so part of the energy issue is to understand that our modern techno-industrial societies have been able to become as prosperous as they have because there's a direct correlation by how much high carbon energy we've consumed and how much we've produced. And if we cut back on high carbon energy, it means we're going to produce less. And if we produce less, it means there's less growth. So now we get into a really serious conundrum because a modern techno-industrial culture depends economically on growth for social peace, as well as for uh, human enhancement. So it means we're up against a far more profound societal and civilizational transition than even people who talk about being uh, energy neutral by 2050 understand. And 
this is an issue that isn't securely on our agendas. Uh, it's not being researched at the rate that it needs to be. So there's an energy issue here uh, that's, that's kind of in the background that we're not talking about yet. Because fr frankly, it's embarrassing and we're not quite sure what to do with it. And of course, it sounds like you're saying that the old ways of doing business need to be changed very quickly. We need to have transformational leadership and a transformation to a new culture and form of society where we look at things differently and realize that these are no longer potential dangers. They are dangers and they're with us now. Is that correct? It, it, absolutely. That, and what we're facing is, a, is what I characterize as a personal to civilizational scale change. And so the personal change that you see where men like us come to terms with the privilege that we've had as males and as being white, that's all good because this isn't gonna happen without a, a lot of deep personal learning. But it's also the case that we need to learn to think about long-term civilizational change. And that's not something that uh, we understand a lot about. That's, that's emerging as a new topic, even for universities. Uh, so yes, we're, we're into uh, profound societal and personal change in a way that uh, most people, I mean, without, I don't mean as a put down, but in most government caucuses and most chambers of commerce, this is not a conversation they're having yet. No, that's right. They, they will, they should have, but they, unfortunately they haven't, right. And we're trying to warn them and say, we're not your enemy. We're actually trying to warn you to be prepared for it so it doesn't run you over. Exactly. And it's amazing how much is being spent now by people in some states that were actually climate change deniers in Virginia, in Florida. Miami is spending, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars a year, a year on studies to see how they keep the Atlantic Ocean off the streets of Miami, Miami Beach. And these, it's getting worse. We see that Bangladesh, within five to 10 years, 20% of Bangladesh will be underwater. The Bay of Bengal will come in. So it's, it's a totally different situation. Well, you, you've often described yourself as a, quote, hopeful pessimist. Uh, how do you explain that? How do you, uh, why are you hopeful and why are you pessimistic? I'm pessimistic. I'm pessimistic because I think we are way behind where we need to be. Um, and I think we've done enough and enough has happened and we learned slowly enough that serious despair is baked into the lives of our children and grandchildren. I think that's already there. And so I talk about the need uh, for a post-despair hope. See, one of the things that happens in our culture that as soon as you, I mean, even some people listen to this conversation will turn away from it and say, well, I'm more optimistic than that. I want to be cheerful. You know, it's like one of the Boy Scout rules that a scout is cheerful. We live in an officially optimistic and officially cheerful society. And this conversation will, is not cheerful. <laughs> it's, it's not that there isn't laughter in it, but it's not cheerful if you kind of listen to what we're saying. And so my fear is that the kind of official optimism of our culture is so superficial that as it gets really, really serious, a lot of people will end up feeling hopeless. And what I want them to do is to say, no, when your optimism turns to pessimism, there's still room for hope because hope isn't about 
whether you're cheerful and optimistic. Hope is about, are there good reasons that you don't give up on your own humanity and that of others? That you're willing, even though you're tired and exhausted and troubled, to wake up every morning and clean up and suit up and show up as much as you can as a person who treats love and forgiveness and beauty and grace as more important than profit. That in the last analysis, the way we are ourselves and with each other is what will get us through this. We see that in emergencies. In emergencies, we down tools when it comes to just continuing our prosperity and we're willing to support each other. And, and that's a hopeful piece. What we're not up to at the moment is being hopeful all week long in what may be decades. You know, in the 1930s, we had a terrible decade that for some of us, it was our grandparents and parents who lived through it. For others, it's great, great grandparents. I think we face several decades like that. And therefore, my bias is to not deny how troublesome it'll be. I'm quite open about that pessimism. But I also want to have people find a basis for hope in their life that gives them enough courage and moral fortitude to show up as a human being and um, be as supportive of themselves and each other as we can. That's the only way we're going to get through this. Ruben, you summed it up very nicely and very accurately, and that's a perfect way to close our program. But Ruben Nelson, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Bill, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. <laughs>